Hello and welcome back to another episode of Come Over for Dinner. Today I have two special guests and a special episode. Instead of the usual format, this week's episode will be an interview with America's Test Kitchen Equipment Experts, Lisa McManus and Hannah Crowley, hosts of the popular Gearheads show. Together, they have written a new book titled Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. First, I'd like to welcome Hannah Crowley, an executive editor for America's Test Kitchen Reviews. She is an expert at reviewing kitchen equipment and ingredients. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and your job. This sounds like a really fun one. Sure, yeah. So Lisa and I lead the team that does all the reviews for America's Test Kitchen. So that means equipment, like everything you use to cook, and also products like olive oil and salt and things like that. And so we have a real testing lab. We're based in the seaport of Boston, Massachusetts, and we have a whole lab of science equipment. We've got walls that can handle tons and tons of electrical appliances built into them. We have a whole specialized lab and we test and hold our tasting panels there. Well, that really sounds like a dream job. It can be like, I've had to, for my job, taste 12 chocolate chip cookies. And I've also had to taste 12 mayonnaises plain. So there's definitely a spectrum of what we get to eat, but it, it's all fun. <laughs> There's also a downside. I'm sure it gets monotonous at times. And at times you're like, really, do I have to taste another spoonful of mayonnaise? <laughs> well, listen, nobody wants to hear anybody complaining about eating cookies. But let me tell you, at about cookie eight, it starts <laughs> not fun. Right. At cookie eight, you're just like, oh, I never want to see a chocolate chip cookie again. Yeah. You're like, why did I go so big on cookies one through four? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe a small nibble would have been better. Yeah, that's the pro move. I know that now after 13 years. Right. Well, coffee tasters, they take a little swig and then spit it out, which is so interesting. Anyway, yeah. not not to go into coffee tasting, but <laughs> a bunch of that too. We test a bunch of coffee appliances too. And you have mm -hmm. to spit because otherwise you're like, oh, and it's yeah. even hard to get people for the tastings. And same with wine. We just actually reviewed subscription wine boxes, which are very popular right now. Mm -hmm. And while they're tasting from 10 to 12, and we had people spit. Just, you know, you don't want to have people taste a bunch of wine and then head home in their cars for the day. <laughs> That's right. Well, and you want it to be um, a, an objective review all the way down to the end, not we hate this last wine simply because we're just tired of it <laughs> or we yeah, can't or, handle anymore. Yeah. Or or it's a great because everything's great after that. <laughs> 12 <days. laughs> That's true. That's the other downside. <laughs> Well, in your new book, you share everything you've learned through years of equipment testing from buying do's and don'ts to maintenance and cleaning tips. You even have recipes. America's Test Kitchen is known for rigorously testing recipes and making changes until they come up with what the cooks deem is the best version of that recipe. You've mm -hmm. gone through a similar process with kitchen equipment. Each piece goes through multiple rounds of tests to ensure the recommended items have met the highest standards before giving it America's Test Kitchen seal of approval. Your book states, when it comes to successful, enjoyable home cooking, starting with the right kitchen equipment is every bit as important as following a good recipe. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Right. So oftentimes folks will be cooking and things will go wrong. They scorch the onions in the pan, for example. It actually might be the pan's fault. You know, we always take on too much blame. Don't blame yourself. Blame the pan. That is a thin disc bottom pan. It's a piece of, you know, you know what, and it doesn't <laughs> heat evenly. So oftentimes you think I'm not that good of a cook. Maybe you just haven't had the right gear. Mm -hmm. That's true. 
Well, your book features over 500 expert tips and over 400 recommended tools based on your comprehensive test results. So what is your testing philosophy? What kinds of things do you look for when testing equipment to determine your top recommended item? Sure. Well, our our biggest thing is we don't accept or solicit any free samples. We buy all of our own testing gear and that allows us to be completely unbiased. You know, I don't have to please somebody because they sent me a free blender. And we always start, we write scientific testing protocols. We have a scientist on staff and we consult experts because we're not experts in everything, but we are journalists. So we're experts at pulling in the right people to get the right answers. So Mm -hmm. we start with a bunch of research and then we write our scientific testing protocols and we consider all of the different ways you use something. So for example, a Dutch oven. You use that on the stovetop, you're going to sear in that, you're going to make a soup, you're going to braise while you're starting the stovetop and go in the oven. You're going to bake bread in it, which is a completely different dry, high heat environment. You could even use it on the grill. So in our testing protocols, we would come up with a recipe test that addresses all of those different things. And we also look at durability, which is really important. And with a Dutch oven, I love to whack my spoon on the rim to clear off the spoon, you know, Mm -hmm. that can actually chip your Dutch oven, which if you have like any Dutch oven, it's sad, but God forbid you do it on a $300 Le Creuset Dutch oven. That's a tragedy. So we test that. We whack them all 50 times right in a row to simulate, you know, (laughs) a year of whacking and results. And we also look at People come in all shapes and sizes. So we want to make sure, you know, our equipment, we have a recommendation for someone who has diminished hand strength. And so for that, for Dutch ovens, that's really important. Dutch ovens are heavy. Yes, so we make they sure, are. Right? We, we added a second testing with lightweight Dutch ovens because we know not everybody can flip and heft. Our winner from Le Creuset is 16.3 pounds. That's big. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very true. Well, speaking of skillets, I just texted my daughter-in-law in Texas, Serena, to ask her for her Christmas wish list. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I was in the middle of reading the book cover to cover. I have not made it through, but I also found it to be a good reference manual. So as soon as we started talking about skillets, she was saying, I need a good frying pan. The one I have from when I first got married has lasted two years and is just ready for the garbage. <laughs> it was a nonstick. And so I said, well, let me look in this book and So quickly, I was able to find your index in the back with all of the top recommended equipment with lots of categories to choose from, like stainless steel, cast iron, or nonstick. And then in in the middle of the book, there was also an entire section called Skillets 101 that gives an in-depth look at each type of pan, which one might be the best for you, how to clean it, and so many more details. And so I realized looking at all the different items, everyone has the same type of thorough information. So it really is a fun book to look at even if you're just kind of looking up a particular item that you need for your kitchen. So one of the things Serena and I discussed through our conversation was you get what you pay for. And you mentioned that in the book. She, for her wedding, received a set of nonstick cookware that cost hundreds of dollars for the entire set, but it didn't last. And I did the same thing when I first got married and bought set after set after set of cheap cookware But, you know, when it's a whole set for $100 or $200, that really is not an expensive something that would last for a lifetime. So I realized, why am I doing this? Why am I buying set after set after set? If I had spent more money on a quality piece at a time, I'd have cookware that actually was a delight to use and would last a lifetime. So what are your thoughts on spending money wisely on kitchen gear? I mean, how do you go about doing that? Because a lot of times we're daunted by, say, a a pan or a skillet that costs two or three hundred dollars. Totally. And you're like, yeah, I'm not I can't spend that. And that and so we try to meet people where they're at. 
And I think sets are, I would caution folks away from sets. And I mean that knife sets, cookware sets, I get the appeal because you're like one purchase and I get everything I need. But the reality is it's probably not everything you need. Mm-hmm. Manufacturers are trying to cut their costs and maximize profit. So they're probably going to include a couple random knives and pots that are of an odd size that you probably don't really need. But then they get to say, oh, this is 11 pieces. And you say, oh, 11, that's a lot. When actually it might be more productive to buy like a large Dutch oven, a four quart saucepan, and one small, you know, one quart saucepan. So you've got the range covered in three pots versus five pots that doesn't, they never get quite big enough. You know, manufacturers tend to trend too small because that's where they can cut costs. So first I would say buy a la carte if you can and avoid sets. Second of all, you were talking about non-stick sets. So non-stick, if there's ever such a thing as drama in the cookware world, and there certainly is, I would say there's a lot of drama about non-stick right now. And first of all, it's fallible. What it is, is a thin layer of plastic on the pan. So that layer of plastic, if you heat it too hot, it will start to off-gas and emit dangerous fumes. You can also scratch it and other things can befall it that just make it not good to use, not dangerous, but not non-stick. And I think the Cookware Association of America lists the average lifespan of a nonstick pan, normal use, two to three years. If you were to get, which I would recommend for your gift, I would say get carbon steel or cast iron. We like them both. They are so durable. They can, they're more versatile too. They can go on the stove, in the oven, on the grill. You can broil in them. You can do super high heat. Whereas with nonstick, you don't want to do high heat. So I think they're more versatile. You have to do a little bit of care. You have to wipe them with oil after they cook, heat them up, but it's not that bad. They will outlive you, not to be dark, but. (laughs) (laughs) So could I cook scrambled eggs in either one of those? You could, you could. These are naturally nonstick. So the oil, the layer of oil that you see folks condition carbon steel or cast iron with, that actually builds up. It bakes onto the pan. It gets polymerized onto the pan and creates a very thin coating, which is the same idea as the plastic coating of a nonstick pan, um, but it's it's just oil cooked on. So it doesn't off-gas. It's not dangerous. You have to maintain it. So it's like your skin. You know, you just got to moisturize your skin a little bit, a little bit. Once you understand what the maintenance is that's required it's not bad at all. And we walk you through it in the book. It seems like this, oh, I'm going to add something to my routine every day. No, thanks. I've got enough to do, but it's very easy and it will last. You don't have to worry about off-gassing and you can do a lot more with these pans. And they're also forgiving. That's the other thing. Folks worry about, oh, what am I going to do with my seasoning? I messed it up. I've messed up my pans. They always come back. We always mm-hmm. we always come back together again. <laughs> they forgive you. In the end, we all it's all love in the end. Yeah, right. What is your top recommended oil to season a cast iron? I have read recently that you don't really want to use olive oil, which is a go to for a lot of cooks, you know, thinking it's pretty healthy, but it doesn't maybe have a high enough smoke point or what? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we usually go with a canola or a vegetable oil just because it has a higher smoke point. They also tend to be less expensive. With olive oil, you're often you're paying a lot for flavor and you don't need to be paying for flavor here because you're not getting any flavor out of this oil. A simple unflavored high smoke point oil like canola is best. And you know other oils like avocado and they also have high smoke points, but they tend to be more expensive. We say just just get the less expensive stuff. And you season it after every use? Just a little bit you know, like a teaspoon, you know, after you wash it, 
Use a scrub brush. That's another key that made it much easier to adopt them into my life. You'd be going at it with a sponge. Sponge isn't really working. Then the sponge is all gunked up. You want to get a, a scrub brush. Scrub Daddy makes our winner. And it really is a great game changer. It helps get everything up without ruining your seasoning. So scrub brush, wash it while it's still hot if you can. Put it back on the stove with the heat on. Let it warm up and just rub a thin layer, thin, thin, thin layer of oil on it. And don't forget to turn it off because sometimes I do that. <laughs> I've also done the same thing. And all of a sudden you start smelling this kind of burnt oil smell. That's what always comes <laughs> I'm like, what is that? What is that smell? What am I cooking? Oh no, I'm cooking a pan. (laughs) No, which I would say, this is one of, I've worked amongst chefs for years. And one of my favorite things I've learned is to cook with your nose because you really can notice things with your nose. So that's a good, you know, fire prevention with your nose. Yes, absolutely. And that helps too, if you're cooking with an unfamiliar oven or an oven that the temperature doesn't always hold stable, if you can not just rely on your timer, but cook with your nose. You can prevent things from overcooking and burning and all the rest. Totally. With stainless steel pans, I know in your book, there's a a recommendation in numerous categories for the all-clad D3, I believe it is. Sometimes when you go to the store and you're just overwhelmed by this variety of stainless steel, how can you tell the difference besides, you know, I know you you've tested them and have a recommendation, but how can you tell the difference in quality? Let's say the all clad D3 looks exactly like this really cheap, whatever over here. How do you tell which one to buy if you're a consumer just going without having done research? Yeah. And and stainless steel pans are the perfect piece of equipment for this question because we have tested so many of them under $100 and we just cannot find a really great one. I think the all clads around $100, which is, you know, can be a lot for a skillet, but the reason it's worthwhile. So the three there stands for three layers and it's three layers of metal sandwiched together. You're going to get more even cooking and it's going to conduct the heat nice, nicely. If you go to the store and you see a seam running around the bottom of the pan. That's what we call disc bottom pans. So that means that pan comes in two parts and they they weld the bottom of the pan onto the top that has the rim. And you are just not going to get performance over time with a disc bottom pan. They don't, metal always wants to heat, as it heats and cools, pulls in all different ways. So when you have more pieces of metal, different kinds of metal on one pan, the metal is going to pull all different kinds of ways. So you're going to get a tippy pan, you're going to get heat conducting really hot into one part of the pan and not into another. So if you see a seam around the pan, that means it's a disc bottom pan. It's not made out of whole sheets of metal sandwiched together and stamped out, which is what the all clad is made of, which is what you're paying for. So I always love to have a less expensive option. And we really try every single testing because that's just for me, that's probably what I'm going to buy. Uh, this was a tough one to get that performance in a disc bottom pan. You can't, you just can't do it. So if you can look for tri-ply, that means three layers and avoid the seam around the bottom. That's, and look for steel versus aluminum. Those are some ways to, my TJ Maxx tips. I'm a big lover of TJ Maxx. Those are the tips you can go to TJ Maxx. I always look for the seams. I'm always, I'm always waiting for someone to ask me advice in that aisle and, and TJ Maxx. <laughs> if they recognize you, they definitely would. <laughs> well, nobody ever recognizes me, but you know, I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting someday. <laughs> you're you're ready for your big moment. <laughs> I'm ready. Hey, Max Cooker Isle. <laughs> That's pretty great. Well, you in your daily work test products that I've never even heard of before, like cheese paper for wrapping cheese between use. 
and lots of other really interesting items. What is some of the most interesting and favorite products you've tested? Funny you say cheese paper. I have some in my fridge right now holding some pecorino. And the cheese paper is really interesting because, and this, it has this quality that all of my favorite products do, where it solves a real problem for you. Mm-hmm. This paper, you can put a wedge of some of, of cheese in there, any kind of cheese, and in two weeks it will still be perfect. But cheese is alive. You know, it needs to breathe. So if you contain it too much, it'll start to die. If you don't contain it at all, it'll start to dry out. The cheese paper really threads that needle between containing and keeping in the good stuff without letting it dry out. So products that solve a simple problem like that are always so satisfying to me. Like one of the my favorite things I've ever tested is this tortilla warmer. It keeps tortillas warm. I had a party once. We had tacos at like six. We went up for the second round at 10 p.m. and they were still warm and soft and pliable. I swear all my guests were like, oh my God. They so, all went out and bought a tortilla warmer immediately. I have sold, <laughs> I have inadvertently sold probably about 500 of these just bragging to people about the performance. Okay, well, tell us which one is your favorite. It is the Amusa, I-M-U-S-A. It comes in all kinds of fun colors, goes right on the table. It's insulated. You can heat them up in the microwave if you want, which I don't love to do. I like to cook them on the stovetop, put them in there. They're warm. And this is another thing. If you like to make homemade tortillas, it can kind of be a rush to get the meal on the table, cook the homemade tortillas. You can make all the tortillas and then get everything else ready. They're warm and pliable whenever you're ready. Oh, that's a great tip. Not sponsored. I feel like I should say I don't work for them. <laughs> but they, sh- they should give you a commission as much as yeah, you <laughs> have sold their product. <laughs> Any trip to Mexico. I don't know. That's right. Exactly. Where do you get cheese paper, by the way? Have I just missed it in grocery store aisles or is that a specialty item to order somewhere else? It's a little more of a specialty item. It's in, I would say, bougie cheese shops. So Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's an incredible cheese shop up in Boston. They have it. So look for a bougie or cheese shop or just online. Okay. Well, I will look for that because it does sound like the perfect product to solve a problem. Because usually if you're wrapping it in plastic, it doesn't allow it to breathe. The cheese paper in the book, you talk about how it absorbs a little bit of moisture where it's not going to sweat. So it's it really does sound like the perfect thing to wrap your cheese in to make it last where it won't yeah, grow mold. The right layer for a rainy day. You know, it keeps out the good stuff, keeps in the bad stuff. Oh, wait, vice versa. You know, it just it's the perfect layer. Mm-hmm. On a day to day basis, when you go into work at America's Test Kitchen, do you set your own schedule of things to test? There's so many kitchen products. How do you determine what am I going to test today? And, you know, am I going to whack spoons against a pot 50 times? <laughs> am I going to taste 50 sips of coffee or, you know, how does that work? Yeah. So it's definitely a balance. And our testings take so long. We are planned out. We're flexible, but we're planned out. So a testing will probably take of a single product, even something as simple as like jarred tomato sauce or a wooden spoon can take like six weeks. So we plan at the beginning of the year what we roughly think we'll do. And we go to a big trade show, the Home and Houseware Show, which is in Chicago every year. It's actually called the Inspired Home Show now. Um, But they have all of the latest and greatest, in parentheses, they're saying they're the greatest, um, gear. So we, we keep a tab on what's new and exciting. But then we also watch our winners. So when something wins one of our tests, we buy a fleet of them and the test cooks, there's like probably 50 to 70 test cooks that work in the test kitchen every day, developing recipes for our other publications. They use the products we test. So if something isn't working, we hear about it. 
for better or for worse, there was a there was a time when the test cooks hated this can opener that I chose as the winner. I'd go back to my desk every day and there'd be just broken can openers sitting on my desk. So, but it's actually great because we get a bunch of real-time testing. So we we test new stuff coming down the pipeline, innovations, but we also keep an eye on all of our winners and the core, core categories, big ones, you know, blenders, cutting boards, knives, to see what's new there. So we're always presenting the most up-to-date information. And, you know, we came we used to be print. So this used to be, you know, we plan nine months ahead, plan your whole schedule. But over the past five years, we have really transitioned to digital and like something that's last year, that's old now. It used to be new in the print world. Now that's old. So we try to be faster and better all the time. I'm sure you're updating the website daily, depending on what article is written or what item is tested. Yes, you're right. In today's digital age, you really have to be on top of it every day. Every day. (laughs) To stay current. Totally. Speaking of all of your tested equipment, you have a huge amount of equipment that you purchase, test. Tell me what you do with all of that equipment. Yes. So we keep we keep it all for a certain amount of time. We have a storage unit we call purgatory because it's in waiting. <laughs> and after testing, then things go to purgatory and they're pulled in and out for TV. They're filmed for social. They're used the trail of the story, you know. And then we have a winner's closet. All the winners go in there. So we can always reference and pull stuff for videos, test them against a new model, for example. But then the bulk of the stuff gets given away once a year. And we shop first for three to four local nonprofits pulling stuff for community kitchens and what they might need. And then everything else that's left, which is actually a huge amount still, gets given away to the staff and we do a raffle. So everybody gets numbers randomized and they pick in groups and it's like supermarket sweep. You're like, okay, group one. And then like 10 people get to come in and they've got 10 minutes to shop and you can pick, you know, one large thing, two small, four medium, you know, there's a combination of what you can pick. And it's probably one of the most fun days in the office. I got to say. That honestly sounds like Christmas time. (laughs) Maybe better. (laughs) Yeah. You've learned, I've learned. So for 13 years of giveaways, I've learned You could tell who's been there for a while. We don't get excited about the jazzy new appliance. We get the core basic stuff. Ooh, a nice, simple cast iron skillet. That's probably the best thing I've ever gotten in the giveaway is an eight-inch carbon steel pan. I use it. I use it this morning. I use it every morning for eggs. It is my most used item and it's not flashy or fancy, but I love it. Did you mention the brand on that one? Matt for Borgiat is our winning carbon steel skillets, and they come, you know, eight. 10, 12 in sizes. Okay. I'll have to look that one up. I have not heard of that brand. So good to know. They're French. Okay. Well, I have a friend who's the French chef and so he would approve. He would say, of course it is. Yeah. You could just (laughs) drop that in conversation with him then. Right. That I own a French skillet. (laughs) I'll have to learn how to pronounce it first. Well, before we wrap up, I was going to ask, and there are so many pieces of interesting information in your book, like how to store leftover wine, what the correct temperature is to make different kinds of tea, depending on if it's black tea or white tea or green tea, how you can make your own knife guards, the correct water temperature for making coffee, all kinds of really detailed information that I found interesting. Going back to coffee, what is your preferred method of making coffee? After doing all of the tests that, you know, everybody has their own, whether it's a drip 
regular coffee pot or a French press or pour over, you know, what did, what did you come up you with? Go on and on. There's a yes. million, million different ways. So I'm an AeroPress girly. I don't know if you know the AeroPress. But I, I do. Yes. I, I think the flavor out of an AeroPress is just, for me, the most perfect, delicious thing. And they actually came out. So my husband and I both got into it. But if you know the tradition, the, the original AeroPress really kind of makes just one cup of coffee, maybe, maybe two. They just came out with a big AeroPress. So we got that this summer. We're actually currently reviewing it at work. And so, you know, our results aren't out yet. But let me just say, if you like AeroPress and want to serve more than one person, it's a game changer because you can actually get that same flavor, but not, you know, you can get like four cups at a time or four espressos at a time. That is a super hot tip because if I'm making my own cup, then it's perfect. But like you, I actually did let it go for a French press because usually I'm making more than one. So that is so exciting to hear about a big arrow press. I'm going to have yep. to look that up. Yes, <laughs> Maybe a Christmas present. I know. And it's it's so worth it, especially like my husband and I, we'd wait we like, we have like a standoff, like who's the last one? Oh, can I have a cup? Cause then the other person has to make both with this. It's not so bad. The little less work. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you also test ingredients. Now this is not in your book. This particular book is kitchen gear, but you test ingredients as well. Do you do that as part of your daily work alongside gear? Yeah. Yes. So we have, we do, I would say 75% gear, 25% ingredients, and we hold tasting panels. So Unlike some publications, which are great, great and fun to read, that some, one person's opinion of, oh, this is excellent. We hold tasting panels, and much like our philosophy for testing equipment, we think about the different ways a product is used. So, for example, olive oil. You might cook it for, you know, roasting some vegetables. You might roast cook it, cook it that way. You might serve it uncooked in a salad. You might have it plain with bread. So we're going to come at the products from the same mindset, thinking about the different ways they're used. And then we set up tests, tasting panels and get, crunch our results and pull in experts. Again, experts are hugely important to what we do. Um, pull in experts to help explain our results. And then we write a story to help folks shop. And things sometimes like with vegan mayonnaise, for example, there is a clear winner. One is excellent. Some are horrible. And other <laughs> products, like turmeric, they're all pretty great. So mm -hmm. it really depends on the product. Sometimes we have a strong recommendation. Other times it doesn't matter. Sometimes we're saying, if you like heat, choose this one. If you don't, choose this one. So there's a, there's a range of answers to our questions there. How do we find your recommendations for products? Are, is that there all on your website? americastestkitchen.com. Okay. So that's where you list, like, say your top olive oil, top mayonnaise, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, exactly. Okay. Awesome. Well, these are some really great tips. It's so exciting to meet you and to talk to you about all of these things. And I can't wait to talk to Lisa next. So thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. It's been so much fun to have you. And hopefully we get to chat again at another point in the future. I would love it. And make sure to la ask Lisa about olive oil. She is one of the country's foremost experts on olive oil, and she just wrote all about it. She's got a million interesting facts. You got to ask her about olive oil. Okay, I will, because I cook with it all the time. So I will definitely pick her brain and find out all of the, the hot tips we need to know. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Next, I'd like to welcome Lisa McManus, also an executive editor for America's Test Kitchen Reviews. 
Besides co-hosting Gearheads on YouTube, Lisa is the host of Cook's Illustrated Equipment Review Videos and the gadget expert on TV's America's Test Kitchen show. She now works at her dream job at America's Test Kitchen reviewing kitchen equipment and ingredients. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It it was very fun to hear from Hannah, but I want you to tell me a little bit more about yourself and your job. What is it like to work in America's Test Kitchen every day? It is my dream job, honestly. I mean, I have been there since 2006, and I would never have stayed this long if it wasn't so much fun. It's always a new learning experience. We don't test the exact same pieces of equipment year in and year out, so you can become a great expert on food processors one minute and then you're testing something completely different like knives the next time or um, spatulas or copper skillets or you know anything so each time we try to jump in and learn as much as we can about something blenders or whatever the topic is and really try to figure out how to help people choose the best one. Well, I especially enjoyed your story in the book that talks of testing gallon-sized freezer storage bags filled with tomato sauce. <laughs> tell tell yeah, me about testing <laughs> those gallon-sized freezer storage bags. What did you do? Well, I mean, one of the things we want to know is how structurally sound is it? You know, is it really going to hold your food? Is it going to spill? Is it going to, you know, break and spray everything? So I put a gallon of tomato sauce in each of the gallon-sized bags and really made sure they were nice and closed and put them on the counter. And I put down the tarp because I don't have a ton of tape. And I got a long-handed pizza peel and I pushed them off onto the tarp. <laughs> and, you know, explosions. Explosions. A mess. <laughs> a couple of them landed and bounced like little red pillows. And those are the ones that you want. Obviously, you don't want to make your, you know, grandmother's chicken soup and, you know, you're going to freeze it in a bag and something happens and it's everywhere. You want the one that's going to stay intact and, you know, and just really going to hold everything where it's supposed to be and freeze and, and be in good shape. Right. Well, that sounds like a really fun job. <laughs> we can do whatever we have to do to learn how things work. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you bang skillets, plunge hot pans into ice cold water, do a 50 egg test on nonstick skillets and more. So tell me more about this abuse that you inflict and why. Why do you do all of these things? And you can also tell us a little bit about the 50 egg test. That is so interesting. (laughs) Well, you know, in each case when we choose equipment, we will get a category like nonstick skillets and we are trying to figure out which ones are going to remain nonstick longer. And it's an industry test that I read about in um, the Cookware Manufacturers Association, you know, talks about their standards and their testing. And that's, and they make one egg after another in a nonstick pan, no fat. So I said, okay. And uh, we basically got the pans, we got a burner going, did not turn the burner off, kept it at the same heat use um, a thermometer and as soon as the pan hits a certain temperature we would put an egg in and um, let it cook for exactly two minutes and then take it out and a good nonstick pan you know doesn't require any fat and that egg will come right out and as the coating starts to degrade you can do things like i had a pan fail at eight eggs 
I had wow. another one still going at 77 eggs, which is why we cut it off at 50. We said 50 is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you want the ones that are going to last. And this is how quickly they can go downhill. Mm -hmm. um, suddenly those eggs are sticking. You didn't do anything any different from when you did the last ones. You know, and, and it is tedious because you have to pay attention. You have to make sure the pan is the right temperature. The eggs are ready. Everything is ready to go. You've got your timer. And... You can't start gabbing with the person at the next stove <laughs> and be like, oops, whoops. <laughs> right, right. It messes up your test. And then after you've done 50 eggs, you look and there's 11 more plants you got to do. I mean, it takes days of your life and parties of eggs. Um, everyone eats them, but still, it's, you know, they're not all eaten. And it seems like a waste, but it's more of a waste if you're buying pans that don't last. And a lot of people out there are buying pans that don't last and they're going to the landfill. And, you know, for all the reasons, you don't want to have to keep spending the money. You don't want to have to keep struggling with a pan that isn't very good because, you know, we'll all keep using them while they're still not very good for ages till we get really fed up, throw it out and get another one. You want one that's going to stick with you as long as possible, not being sticky. So, right, <laughs> which is why you do these tests. That's why you bang skillets and cook 50 eggs and drop things on the floor is because you're trying to simulate someone using it over a long period of time, which Absolutely. makes sense. So you're not testing something that's brand new. You're, you're trying to see, well, what does it do if someone's had it for a year, you know, and they've mm -hmm. dropped it or they... According to the manufacturer's directions, they don't exactly do everything perfectly. Like, you know, when you test a, a hot pan being put in ice cold water, well, how does it respond then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, still you know, uphold? people will do that. They'll take a hot skillet off the stove, take out the food and then stick it under the hot tap, under the cold tap in the sink. And you get that really impressive spurt of steam. And that's cool. But you're working that metal. You're doing damage. It's not good. Um, anytime you take something from cold to hot or hot to cold really quickly, especially metal, it's thermal shock and it's mm -hmm. going to respond like the cold parts will contract. The hot parts are expanding. You're going to, you're going to damage things and you're going to get a warped pan. So we know people are going to do that. We will do it on purpose mm -hmm. and we'll heat the pans to exactly 500. I have a barrel on the floor with ice water. I plunge it. You know, and and if pan can withstand that, and I check it afterward to see if it's warped, if it can not warp under those conditions, if you're going to make that mistake, you know, even if you know someone else in your family might use the pan and put it under the cold and you'd be like, no. <laughs> right. You don't want something that's precious <laughs> in your kitchen. You want something that's durable. Right. Well, it's Hannah, a tool. yes, it's a tool to be used. You're a gadget expert, but Hannah mentioned you also test ingredients. And she said to ask you about olive oil. She said that you are an expert in olive oil. <laughs> so we have to hear a little bit about olive oil <laughs> and your hot tips on searching for a good olive oil. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just like with equipment, we test ingredients the same way. We'll choose a category, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. I, I did premium olive oils from all over the Northern Hemisphere, actually all over the world. I also did supermarket olive oils. Um, so I looked at what are the most widely sold, widely available supermarket olive oils. We bought them. We brought them into the kitchen. We remove all the labels and all the information about what they are. We assign random three-digit codes. People, we have a survey that they do on their phone. And um, that means every single person is tasting in a different order. So there's no palate fatigue. So they're not all hating the last one because they can't stand it anymore. <laughs> 
And we will ask specific questions about the flavor and the aftertaste. We give them green apples to eat between samples because it cleanses the palate and gets rid of the oily uh, aftertaste. So you're starting fresh. Um, they're drinking plain water. They're eating a little bread. So anything to really come to that sample fresh and um, as fairly as possible. And we really look for what tastes the best. And then we will cook the things to make sure that they you know, perform in cooking. So, you know, we will, we will do things where you're, you're really experiencing that ingredient and amounts a level of playing field as possible against its competitors to see what we like the best. And then we go and talk to experts and learn why. And we do that with equipment as well. You know, we will take things over to MIT, um, the scientists in the materials science, or, you know, there's, they have amazing electric, electronic microscopes that are like you know really really at high intensity you can see the grain of the metal of a knife and see why this one is able to take a keener edge than that one i mean in those cases metal is not all the same every stainless steel is like um a cookie recipe it has different ingredients in it to make it perform a certain way and the fine grain that can take a really fine edge and not have like some fall out of it when you kind of try to get it really sharp or too soft so that when you're cutting, it's just getting blunt. You will look at the angle of the knife and we say, you know, this is going to go into the food and really slice it cleanly and precisely and not crush it. So when you're cutting an onion, it's not all spring in your eyes. You're getting perfect slices. It's going where you want it to go. And all these things have to do with their, the way they're made, what they're made of, you know, their geometry, how they fit different hands. So we'll have different people try them. So every test we do, we will try to cover everything we can think of and test as exhaustively as possible to come up with an answer of why is that the best one. And, you know, maybe we'll have another one that's also good, but done to people with larger hands or, um, you know, maybe the handle is higher up so that when you come down, you're not knocking your knuckles on the cutting board. So we just really look at every factor and we talk to experts in the field because, like I said, this minute we do knives. Next week, it's olive oil. And after that, it's, you know, <laughs> something completely different. So we really try to act as journalists and to learn from experts and translate that for everyday people like us, make sure we understand it, and then we communicate it. So really, we, we go to a lot of trouble <laughs> to make recommendations that we think are going to work because if people understand, you know, what's good and also why, they're mm -hmm. in control. And they can make good choices and have more success in the kitchen. Yes. And, and at the end of the day, they get better food. <laughs> yes. And they're spending their money wisely. It's the worst when you go and you spend money, a large amount or a small amount, and you feel like, oh, I just have to throw this in the trash. It's not It's not good at all. Or it's okay, but you wanted something nice for a holiday meal. You do want a good recommendation for all different price ranges. Like you said, you tested mm -hmm. olive oils from around the world, probably high end, uh, high end prices, as well as a supermarket olive oil. And so being mm -hmm. able to choose from those ranges, you have a YouTube show. Does most of that show up there? I know that's gadgets, but does most of like ingredients as well show up on the YouTube channel or do you, do we have to read articles or where do we find all of your results? We have a website called americastestkitchen.com. So America with an S, Test Kitchen. And that is our company name, but it's also it's the umbrella for everything we do. So we also have Cook's Country and Cook's Illustrated Magazines. We have a cookbook division. 
We have podcasts. We have our television shows. We have an online cooking school. <laughs> so we have a bunch of YouTube series, including ATK Gearheads, which is Hannah and me. And, you know, we have a whole staff of people who are test cooks, equipment reviewers. And this is what we do all day long is, is really try to come up with fail-proof, delicious recipes and the equipment and the ingredients that support that. So if you go to americastestkitchen.com, it's got a paywall you have to join. Um, a lot, some stuff is free, but you know, there's for the main part of all of our reviews, hundreds and hundreds of them, and all of our recipes, probably a thousand or more, they're behind the paywall. But the, here's what you need to know: we don't take advertising. This this is completely subscriber supported. So that's how we get the money to buy the equipment, the ingredients, and test all that stuff so that it really works. And so. Really, it opens up this whole world of information that you have that help you cook better and give you access to all the recipes and everything works together. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to not, the reason I say we don't take ads, no one's going to call me and say, you can't say that's not good because they're one of our advertisers. Mm -hmm. I went to journalism school and that is something that is really important to the press, like to stay separate from advertising and editorial and editorial meaning what we do. And like, they can't, I can't be told you can't say anything bad about this because. Right. You want to something. give your honest review, your honest opinion without having any kind of pressure to not say right. what you really think. And I'm working for the reader and the viewer. I'm working for the people who pay for the access to America's test kitchen. And we, a lot of it's on, you know, you can watch Gearheads for free. Obviously, the TV show is on PBS and on Create and all over the place. It's on, sometimes it's on Netflix and everything else. Um, you can watch America's Test Kitchen or Cook's Country and we convey all this information for free. But there's so much more on the website and in the book. I mean, the book really pulls together a lot of this knowledge and yes. is um, a really easy way for people to access what they're interested in. It's got a lot of information, but it's also kind of breezy and light. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so you can kind of jump in and just read what you want to read and learn yes. about picnic baskets or, uh -huh. you know, knives. <laughs> right. I know it has a very colorful, fun format and you can read it from cover to cover or you can decide, I want to look up your favorite kitchen sponge or what you think about a metal spatula or knives or whatever, whatever it is you're thinking about upgrading in your kitchen. It gives you just a a very good knowledge base of what to choose, where to put your money. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, the holidays are right around the corner. What do you think are the essential pieces of equipment in a kitchen? And there are so many, depending on what you're going to cook. What are some of your must-haves? Well, I think for holiday cooking, when the stakes are pretty high and you've invited people over and bought all this food, it sounds pretty pedestrian, but a good thermometer is your best friend. Um, we have both an instant read thermometer that just kind of opens like a knife and has a long probe and you put it in, it reads in one second. It's very accurate. We also have by the same company, one that um, has a probe that goes into the food and the wire can come out of the oven and the display is on the outside. And so you can monitor temperature without opening the oven because every time you open the oven, all that hot air goes out and you're slowing things down. So you can see and you can know when your turkey is exactly the right temperature and you're going to get juicy, fully cooked meat that isn't dried out or, you know, weirdly pink when you cut it. It's going to be just right. And so 
you know, a thermometer, it sounds really pedestrian, but I really learned to rely on it and to, you know, not have to guess when my steak is exactly medium rare or a chicken breast is fully cooked or even on the grill, you know, is the food done? And it really gives you knowledge is power, you know, you know what's going on and you can really keep an eye on it. So a good thermometer that reads quickly and accurately. I also would say probably get a knife sharpener. <laughs> Nobody sharpens their knives. I go to people's And that makes it miserable to, to use a knife, honestly. I hate dull knives. And I am looking in the back of your book. You have a manual recommendation and an electric. I think the electric is one of the ones we have recommended on my website under my shop page. It's the Chef's Choice Trizor. Um, I'll have to list that under your blog post, but there's also a manual in here that I can recommend. And I'm looking, you have multiple different thermometers. Like you mentioned, an instant read, clip-on probe, mm-hmm. remote probe, infrared, yeah, the refrigerator probe oven. Is great. <laughs> it can, you can put that in the oven and snake the thing out. I use it on the grill as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're grill roasting, every time, again, every time you open that grill, your temperature is dropping. And so you want to keep a consistent heat in there under the lid. You can you can put the thing in there and snake the probe out and the display is on the outside. It'll you could set alarms, you know, if it hits this temperature or drops down and you need to add coals or whatever. You can keep an eye on everything without having to look at it mm-hmm. and be really accurate. So that makes yeah. a big difference. It's really nice. Not that glamorous, you, but yes, not glamorous, <laughs> but very needed. And it makes a difference that you have it depends on what task you're doing, what you're cooking as to what type of thermometer you need or what type of knife sharpener or what type of knife. So it's really fun that you have different categories for all of those things. And it really breaks it down so that a person can narrow in on what do they do? You know, what do they mm-hmm. what do they do in their kitchen? I do like your gift list. It's kind of fun because sometimes you're thinking about people. What do I buy for them? They love to cook. Do they have everything? But there are some things in there that honestly, a second one would, like you mentioned, metal spatulas, um, a good serrated bread knife. Maybe they don't even have that at all. Or maybe theirs is a cheap one. But you also mentioned some unique items like a sous, I don't know how to say it, sous vide immersion yes. circulator, mm-hmm. sous vide. Yes. I've never used one. And so that's kind of fun too. So you bring in some things that, I mean, I know lots of home cooks probably have that. I just don't. So that's kind of a fun thing as well, that you're pulling in things that aren't real common. What are the benefits to that type of cooking method in particular? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sous vide is basically our favorite. It's called a sous vide American circulator. And it looks like a little stick. It's <laughs> long, like a cylinder. And you put that in a big vessel of water and it will heat to a precise temperature. So whatever temperature you set, it will make that water that temperature. And so say, for instance, you're going to be cooking a bunch of steaks and people are coming over and maybe uh, you don't want to overcook some and undercook others. You can get them all to exactly 125, medium rare, and they will hold at that temperature until you're ready. And then you just get a skillet hot and you brown it on both sides. It's not going to brown, but it'll cook end to end to that exact temperature and hold it there. It can't get any more cooked. And so you can do it in advance and then you just brown it and you're done. Or I've made a 10 hour pulled pork. So I've gotten the, you know, the pork butt. I put the spice rub on it, sealed it in vacuum, in a vacuum bag, suspend it in this water bath. And 10 hours later, you pull it out and it just, you know, you can pull it apart and it's 
perfect. And it's so not messy because it's bubbling in this little water bath for hours in the kitchen and it's in a bag and then you open it and it just slides onto the platter and you do a little pulling and you've got this platter of pulled pork and it's been like so no sweat, no stress, no mess. So great. Or vegetables or eggs. You can make a ton of poached eggs and have people over for brunch and they cook right in their shells. So you just put them in there and you set the temperature you want and it will just cook them all to that temperature and they'll all be perfectly poached. And you can just toast some English muffins and cook some hollandaise and ham and eggs benedict for everybody or whatever you want. It's great. It's really handy. It's a restaurant tool that has been sort of converted to home use. And we found a bunch of uses for it that we really like. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. We have a whole cookbook that we wrote about sous vide cooking. So, you know, we do that a lot. We'll take a piece of equipment and our cookbook division, our books team will figure out an air fryer book, a healthy air fryer, um, toaster oven, sous vide, food processor, Dutch oven, cast iron pan. And they will work that thing every possible way. Like, so you're going to get the most out of that piece of equipment and do things that you didn't even think about, like, you know, making a skillet chocolate cookie in your cast iron pan or baking an apple pie or roasting a chicken or, you know, it's not just a frying pan. It's, it's not more. And we yes. will figure out ways to get the most out of it. Oh, that's really fun. Well, in your book, Kitchen Gear, the one that we're discussing now, it is a lot about gadgets, but you do throw in some recipes, which is really fun. And the point is made in there that the right equipment can assist in making an excellent meal while the wrong equipment can ruin a meal. So it's fun that you pair those things. You take the best equipment to make the best recipe. So hopefully you're successful. (laughs) You're not having too many kitchen fails. Right. I mean, if you have a successful experience, you're going to cook more mm-hmm. and being able to cook for yourself and making food the way you want it. And it's much more healthy and economical to make it at home. And you get it exactly the way you like it because you're in charge, um, which I really love, you know. And so if you're able to use the right equipment and honestly, our recipes, we also test those like crazy. So really, you get this system that we have worked out that it gives you the knowledge to use our recipes and our equipment that we recommend, but also to take that into other recipes and to have more success across the board. You'll know how to, how to cook a little more successfully and you'll know why it's working. So you can control what's happening and get the outcome that you're really looking for. And that's kind of the goal is really to empower people with knowledge. And um, and then they can start having fun with it and making food they like. And then maybe they like try something more complicated, but you don't have to cook complicated stuff. It's pretty simple with the right equipment. The simplest foods taste better, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're going to get better results. Right. Exactly. Well, on this podcast, we often talk about feeding a crowd. And you mentioned in your book that disposable foil pans are a great tool, but they're thin and don't heat well or hold heat well but you offer a tip to provide a more stable heating surface for the pan. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because with holidays coming up, a lot of people do rely on those when they're making a large amount for a big crowd coming over. If you're going to use a foil pan, which I understand if you, you know, you're maybe your first time you've ever done Thanksgiving, you are investing in roasting pan, although honestly, they're not that expensive and they're really good pans. The foil pan, you need some support under it. So I would put it on a baking sheet. Um, a half a rimmed baking sheet, half sheet pan, 
um, that will give it some support. And also the metal will help transmit heat a little more effectively. Then aluminum foil, as you know, it cools down real fast. It doesn't do anything for the browning. And so really, if you know, it's fine in a pinch, but adding that cheap can underneath will give it some support. You're not going to dump your turkey when you're taking it out of the oven. It's not going to fall apart and crumble. And you'll get some extra browning and some little bit more, uh, you know, some heat on mm-hmm. that heat pan. Is it important to preheat the rimmed baking sheet before putting your foil pan on it? Or is that not necessary? It can't hurt. I mean, I think that would be a Just, way to get some heat into it already. But I think they heat up pretty quickly. Our 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 sheets are aluminum. Aluminum is pretty responsive to heat, so it will take up heat and will transmit it very quickly. So if you preheat it, you will get a little extra boost. But you can also just put the pan on there when you're putting it in, and it will get pretty hot and mm-hmm. help reflect some of that heat into the pan. Um, and provide some structure that the foil pan would necessarily have. Right. Well, speaking of holiday cooking and knives and sharp knives and cutting boards, one of the things in your book besides gadgets, it talks about cleaning tips and cleaning tools and proper care of the equipment. How would you recommend people to care for their wood cutting boards? I feel like this is a very neglected area in our kitchens. We we use wood cutting boards a lot and then they dry and dry and dry and they look worse and worse and worse. And maybe we toss them and get new ones or whatever, but there is a way to care for them where they last longer. Tell us a little Definitely. bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah. You have to remember wood is a natural material. It's going to take up water and, you know, dry out. And when you can, you never want to like soak it or leave it half submerged in water. The part that's underwater will absorb a bunch of water, and then as it dries, it shrinks, and then it's prone to cracking. Um, it can get dried out. If it's about your skin, you know, when your skin gets chapped or too exposed to water and cold and stuff, you get chapped, you get irritated, and you put moisturizer on. So we like to use mineral oil, food-safe mineral oil. You can get it at the hardware store, some supermarkets. It's not expensive. And you just... Wash that thing with hot, soapy water to get it clean. Let it get, pat it dry. Don't leave it soaking or sitting in water. And then when it's dry, oil it. And just rub the oil on over the whole thing, nice and thick on the sides, the bottom, everything. And then leave it overnight. And the next day you can buff off any excess. But it will get nice and moisturized. And that will also provide a little bit of a barrier to water getting inside and you know, swelling up the wood and then shrinking it and cracking it. It will keep it just like your skin in better shape uh, if you moisturize. And so that's the best thing to do, really. And people worry about wood not being sanitary. It's just as sanitary as anything else. Hot soapy water kills the bacteria. Um, Rinse it well. Pat it dry. Don't leave it soaking. Don't leave it wet. Don't leave the edge sitting in a little puddle. You know, put it somewhere where air can circulate. And it's going to really last forever. Can you cut meats on a wood cutting board? How do you, like a cutting board used over time, if there's small grooves in it, do these collect bacteria over time? Is there a special cleaning method like vinegar or bleach or lemons or or does that not matter because the grooves aren't deep enough? We actually did this test and we sent, we were trying to figure it out because there was some rumor that, you know, plastic versus wood cutting boards. And we actually sent them all to a laboratory and had them inoculated with a certain number of bacteria. And, you know, they looked at them 
and they washed them with hot soapy water. And that killed most of the bacteria, like almost all of it on any surface. So people buy a lot of chemicals and they want to like kill things very viciously. And it's a good <laughs> impulse to be clean and sanitary. Not really necessary. Hot and soapy, hot and soapy. Right. So, I mean, rinse well. <laughs> how to try air dry, air access is good. You know, things that are moist and damp, like the grilled bacteria. Um, you can cut meat on a wooden cutting board. It's fine. The grooves, you know, the, the wood will not soak up things and grow things. You can get it clean. And um, hot and soapy, it really works. Um, okay, good to know. Just you know, simple. <laughs> good to know. I mean, that's how they did it back in the day. So I guess it's appropriate now. They used wood. They didn't have plastic cutting boards way back when. But you do hear that sometimes, you know, to, that, that maybe it's not as sanitary. So that's that's interesting. I like that test. Another interesting thing you mentioned in your book that I had not ever known how to do is how to determine how much propane is left in a propane tank. So you talk about grills and equipment, but then you also give us tools for like, how do you test how much propane is left in a tank? I don't know. I just always kind of shook it a little bit. <laughs> what what <laughs> is the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> what is the right answer to that? Oh, well, basically, if you are if you pour a little bit of water down the side of boiling water down the side of it, and you can really see exactly what level it's at. It, you'll see like a change in the in the water and, and it's really simple. It's nice to have also, but always have a spare tank. Yes, that's because true. No because if you what, you know how mm -hmm. it is. The more people there, the more high stakes it is, you will run out of gas, which is why I'm a charcoal person. What can I tell you? But you know, because I have I and I always if I'm cooking with gas, I always have a spare tank. Um you just want to make sure that you're prepared and that's just a simple way to do it. Keep two. But you can check and it's it does it is more reliable than the jiggling method. And just jiggling it. Yes. <laughs> Another thing I've learned in the book is the correct temperature for doing coffee. Oh which yes. Mine was I boiled it and then poured it in, which is not correct. You need to have it lower than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um Yeah, so, no, the, you know, once you know that you're gonna get better coffee. What about coffee, actual coffee beans? Do you ever rate that as an ingredient? We did actually. Um, we did supermarket coffee beans, and we liked peats. And um, there was a specific type of peats, um, which I'm completely blanking on right now. But uh, basically, yeah, we were looking at medium roast coffees, and it was one of the darker mediums. <laughs> so mm -hmm. maybe you really like dark coffee. I don't know. Yes. But we do. You know, we have 21 tasters, and everyone's tasting blind. So. You know, it's not one person's opinion. It's it's a group and it gives you enough data that you can extrapolate and get a good answer for most people. Well, that's fun. That's a Northwest brand and we can find Pete's in the grocery store. So that's and you can also order it online, which makes it really fresh when it arrives. And top coffee maker real quick to end. Do you have one? Yes, it's called the Technoform Mocha Master, and it's made by hand in the Netherlands and has a copper heating coil. Copper is the most responsive metal used in cookware, and it heats the water right up to the proper temperature and holds it there throughout the cycle. Unlike most coffee makers who start out too cold making their coffee, then they get too hot. So first you get too weak and sour, then you get too bitter and acrid, and you get this little two-minute band in the middle where it's at the right temperature, and that's why your home coffee does not taste good. Oh, well, 
<laughs> I need to work on this. Yes. <laughs> I've made coffee for years and I have pride in my French press methods that I feel like they need to be tweaked. <laughs> oh, well, we have some tips about French press too that make it easier as well. So yeah. it's all well, good. I would love to try your the one you just mentioned, as well as Hannah's larger AeroPress. I've done AeroPress before, but not the large one for a larger group. So thank you so much for joining me today. I have enjoyed it so much. Thank you for taking the time. Okay, well, I enjoyed it too. There's gift guides, cleaning tips, recipes, research on every kitchen item you can imagine. They're top recommended items and so much more. So check out Kitchen Gear. All right, until next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Patreon is a place where you can support your favorite creators. So if you're a fan of the Come Over for Dinner podcast, check out my page. Once you've looked it over, download Patreon's updated app to join the Come Over for Dinner chats, a dedicated space for group conversations. I had the option to create up to four conversations, so of course I created all four. One is for you to share your favorite recipes. Another is for your best prep tips and how you welcome others to your home. The third is for your most recommended must-have kitchen items. This is a perfect place for you to share all your ideas for our Christmas shopping lists. And finally, your stories. What kitchen successes and fails have you had? Share your funny moments and your disaster stories. So join the conversation. I want to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Wherever you listen, leave a rating to help other listeners discover a new podcast. Your positive rating lets them know that it's worth their time. If you want to connect with me on social media, I am on Instagram and Facebook at come.over.for.dinner and at comeoverfordinner.com. At the website, you can find links to the items that we talk about as well as recipes and other things. I hope to see you there. (music) 